Hello and welcome to The Slow Reader. My name is Steve. You can also call me Stephen. I will respond to either or. Uh, just note, though, that Stephen is spelled with a P-H if you're trying to get in touch with me, which you can do on Twitter at Stephen underscore G. Well, my last episode was four months ago, believe it or not. And so, so that means since then, I've read six books or, well, I guess six and a quarter books and currently reading another one. So uh, I titled this episode Six Reviews, but I really only have uh, reviews of uh, three books written down and plus some current thoughts on a couple of others that I'm reading. Without further ado, I'm going to just get into it because this is going to be probably a bit of a longer episode. So since the last episode, I read the following books. Murders and Mysteries in the Manitoulin District by Willis John McQuarrie. Ted's Dead Head by Paul Grover. Grover? I don't know. Uh, the Stars Now Unclaimed. That one is by Drew Williams. Winning Ugly. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't have that information. I think it's Todd Radon. Radon? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to have the correct names in the show notes. Uh, a Boy and His Dog at the End of the World, which was written by C.A. Fletcher. And 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act, written by Bob Joseph. So the reviews I have for you are, uh, are for Murders and Mysteries in the Manitoulin District, Ted's Dead Head, and A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World. But I also have some notes on the stars now unclaimed. And the book I'm currently reading, The Utility of Boredom by Andrew Forbes. So we'll start off with Murders and Mysteries in the Manitoulin District by Willis John McQuarrie. I rated that one three stars. Uh, the content of the book is great. It's very interesting to learn about the history of Manitoulin Island. What made this difficult to read for me were grammar errors, misspellings, and overuse of specific phrases like dastardly deeds appears many times. But the cool thing about this book is the map included on the back, which points out some of the locations talked about in the book. So overall, I think it's a good thing the author put in the time to record the stories, as I'm sure a lot of them would have gone untold otherwise, as I think a lot of these stories were told orally. Next up, I have Ted's Dead Head by Paul Grover. And this one I gave one star to, uh, the very short review. This was not a good book, but it kept me entertained enough to finish it. Still, it had some silly ideas and concepts on top of some grammar and spelling errors sprinkled throughout. It falls under the ironic enjoyment category for me. It's good enough if you're looking for a quick, free ebook, but skip it otherwise. I, I realized that I didn't put any information about what this book is about, uh, Ted's Dead Head is a baseball uh, novel, sort of. Um, it centers around uh, a baseball player, a young baseball player, a rising star, whose name happens to be Ted Williams. And that in itself is really just a coincidence. He's not related to the Ted Williams, who holds a lot of records in Major League Baseball and played for the Boston Red Sox. But um, the eccentric owner of the current Boston Red Sox, who in the 2040s are still playing in Fenway Park, which I guess is entirely possible, decides that to help the young Ted Williams hit better, he's going to thaw uh, Ted Williams' head, which was cryogenically preserved. And so that's really the only part that's related to baseball. The rest of it has a little bit to do with some philosophical thoughts about 
whether Ted Williams would really want to be reanimated. There's also some terrorist attacks in there. I think somehow the young Ted Williams uncle is related to Osama bin Laden in some way. I, it's it's very con- confusing. Like I said, some silly ideas in the book. But uh, it actually does come together. And uh, it's there's not really any loose threads. It's all tied together pretty well. But otherwise, uh, it's it's not a good book. The last, uh, the next book I read is A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World by C.A. Fletcher. And this one I gave four stars to and a bit more of an extended review. So this book, on the other hand, is interesting. It's not a new premise. It sounds a lot like the problem faced in children of men. Nobody, except for rare cases, is having children anymore. But the main character is writing from the future to the past. It doesn't make sense at first, but the third chapter explains it. Um, I should stop here and provide a spoiler warning for the rest of the review. So, warning, there are spoilers ahead. So, the main character is writing in a notebook to a boy in a photograph that he found. Someone from what he calls the before times. And the before times are everything that happened before what they call the gelding, which is when where humans were no longer able to procreate. The after is everything after that. So it's an interesting concept, and there's a good balance early on between world building and telling a story. Um, I think it's cool that the main character is reacting to the old world like how someone from the past might react to the future. Another thought, though, uh, there's a line early in the book about the disappearance of electronic writing in the after, and that all that's left for them to read through are the physical books, which is something I found interesting to think about um, that Everything we're creating now lives on a server somewhere in the world. Um, Not a lot is being written down physically. Uh, I think around the halfway mark of the novel, I was starting to get a little tired of reading it. Grizz, who is the main character, keeps alluding to upcoming events that are worse situations than he's currently in. And so some of that tension of the situation he gets himself in is quickly diffused when we know that there's more coming up. But at the same time, is this what Grizz is talking about, or is it something else? Um, Character ends up getting stalled as well, and the book feels flat for several chapters. And I kind of got bored a little bit, um, a little frustrated mainly, because it felt like the book, the story wasn't really going anywhere. But in the last quarter, things pick up a lot. Uh, Grizz is forced to move on from the stalled situation, and that's when I got reinvested in the story, because it started moving again. Plus, a huge twist in the story is revealed. Grizz turns out to be a girl and uh, not a boy. She is not the boy and his dog at the end of the world. That's actually the photograph that she's holding. The photograph is of a boy and his dog. It was one of those aha moments uh, when I realized that we're never actually told in the story by Grizz that she is a boy. This only comes from other characters, which is first, it comes from her family when they're being suspicious of the traitor Brand, which is the one that steals Grizz's dog to start off the novel, and uh, assumptions from other characters that she meets along the way that just assume that she's a boy. And the last quarter of the book really elevated my rating from three stars to four. Um, So like I said, I was turned off a little bit by the middle section, but the twist was enough to bring me back around. And I hope that I haven't ruined the book for you now, but I think it's, uh, it's worth the read, even knowing the twist of the book. Uh, I mentioned The Stars Now Unclaimed by Drew Williams. Uh, I had this listed in my notes as currently reading books, but I'm not going to continue reading it. So here's what I wrote about it. 
I stopped reading the book because I couldn't keep up with it. The writing style is not great. There's a, there are a lot of exceedingly long sentences full of commas. At times, it was hard figuring out what the author was talking about. There were also too many italicized words. Every other word was in italics for emphasis. The other problem, uh, that there was too much snark. Every character, including what seemed to be a robot character, had big attitudes and always had something snarky to say. Um, so it really felt like the author was trying really hard to be funny and edgy. The bottom line is that the writing got in the way of the story for me, and that's not what you want to see out of a book. I'm definitely not going to finish reading this one, which is too bad, because when I first started reading it, it sounded like a pretty neat premise, but uh, I, I, just, I just couldn't get through it. The writing got in the way, like I said. So those are the only reviews I have so far. I, I wanted to mention that for 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act, that one is written by Bob Joseph. It's nonfiction. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Indian Act, it is a piece of legislature in Canada that uh, really holds Native Indigenous people back. And uh, it's, well, to put it into one sentence is pretty much impossible, but I really recommend that you read it, especially if you are Canadian. It sheds some light on how Canada treats Indigenous people and how they've treated them in the past and how the Indian Act still affects them to this day. The, and the Indian Act is very much still in effect, and it, and it really affects how Indigenous people live. So, other than that, um, I am currently reading a book called The Utility of Boredom, which is a series of baseball essays by Andrew Forbes. So, the way I got this book, uh, some background, my brother and I talked to him a few weeks back. Uh, I'll get back to this note in a little bit about Forbes' latest book, The Only Way is the Steady Way, Baseball, Ichiro, and How We Watch the Game. And then uh, that the next weekend, my oldest brother surprised me with uh, the first book from Andrew Forbes, The Utility of Boredom. So far, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's not gripping me the way I thought it might, but it's a quick enough read and has easy reading points. By that, I mean the essays are only linked together thematically, so it's not like I need to remember what the last story was about or or keep things in mind as I'm reading through it. Uh, so basically, it's a lot of easy stopping points, and, and I find that's uh, pretty good to make it a quicker read. But I think I'll review it more fully by the time the next episode of The Slow Reader rolls around. I'm also sort of reading Reader's Digest. So this this wasn't really on my list at all, but... A couple weeks ago, we got an unsolicited copy of Reader's Digest in the mail. Um, this was also combined with a special sign-up offer. And I've never read Reader's Digest, so I thought I'd flip through it. And after, I'm, I'm still working my way through it, but I now fully understand the Digest part of the magazine title. There's very little meat to the stories and quite a lot of quick-hit bullet-point style pieces. It's not something I would reach out and buy off the shelf, but... Um, it's, it's fun to read through once in a while. I think that pretty much covers what I've read and, uh, what I am currently reading. So up next, I've got a to read list. And according to Goodreads, I'm four books behind my reading challenge for the year. And just to remind you, my goal was set at 26 books for this year. I won't be disappointed if I don't get through 26 books, but I want to see how far I can get. Um, so before I wasn't sticking to a specific list of books I want to read next, 
but I think what might help me get through some books faster is looking forward to some specific titles. So I cherry-picked my next two read books, and this is after I finish uh, The Utility of Boredom. Oh, and Reader's Digest, I guess. So uh, I have three books listed next to read. Dark Town by Thomas Mullen. This one is a police procedural set in 1948 Atlanta. The Art of Star Wars, The Mandalorian by Phil Zostak. I think that's what it sounds like. That's how to pronounce it. But that book is pretty much what it sounds like. It's the art from The Mandalorian. I think it's from season one only. And The Lost World by Michael Crichton, which is the sequel to Jurassic Park. Um, I have that loaded next on my Kobo device, but whether I read it next or not, I'm not sure. But I, I'm leaning more towards reading it next because uh, it's it's been on my list for a little bit. Uh, back to that note that I mentioned in The Utility of Boredom. Uh, my brother and I, uh, my brother Matt and I started a podcast covering the Toronto Blue Jays, and it's called Jays From Home. You can find us on Twitter at Jays From Home. It's, uh, it's also on all major podcast platforms, so just uh, have a, uh, take a search. We're about 20 episodes in. I think the 20th episode is this weekend, although uh, for the second week in a row, I won't be recording with him, uh, just extenuating circumstances. Uh, but I think we're in a bit of a groove now with our episodes and, and the styles. So if you're into baseball and the Toronto Blue Jays specifically and want a new podcast to follow, please go ahead and try it out. So it is called Jays from Home, and I will put links to the show in the show notes. That's pretty much it for me. I went on a little longer than I normally do, which I'm pretty happy about because my goal for these podcast episodes is usually to hit 10 minutes. And uh, according to my recording line in my uh, audio editor, which is Reaper, I'm just over 15 minutes. And I know there's a few things I'm going to cut out, so I'm probably going to be between 10 and 15 minutes, give or take. So uh, I had a really good time putting this together which included reading the books and also writing out the reviews. So that was that was a fun time, and I also enjoy recording podcasts and editing them in general. So overall, this has been a pretty fun episode for me. So to wrap it up, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Stephen underscore G. I'll have the link for that in the show notes just to make sure you know how to spell my name. It's with a P-H. Um, and, uh, I would encourage you to leave a review if you're on Apple podcasts or, uh, even Podchaser. I've decided to start using Podchaser a little bit more as a creator and to try and get people to, uh, to leave reviews that way. So, cause not every podcast platform has a review function. So I'll just finish up by mentioning that this podcast was produced and edited by myself and I used Reaper version 6.31 and the music at the beginning and end of the podcast is mozart's sonata number 11 in a major Uh, i guess it's also called the turkish march Uh, that's from on classicals album classical music the piano favorites of alessandro del yavin i I hope i'm pronouncing that right that's available on gemendo.com uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did like it, keep subscribing. I I don't update super often, but when I do, I try to make it worth it. Uh, share with other people that enjoy reading as well. Thanks for listening, and talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.